But let's talk about it today. How could an enhanced prep be healthier than a natural prep? Oh my goodness, do I have an episode for you. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordai Podcast. I'm Rose Justin Mahaley, and today I am going to lay to bed the facts of a natural versus an enhanced prep, which one's healthier. At the end, I give you the opportunity to discuss with me. Everything I'm going to present in here is biologically true, it's pharmacologically true, and it's physiologically true. Everything I present in here is going to be first and foremost from a research side of things. And then I will spend my anecdote on it as well, which yes, I am biased because I do have an opinion on this, but I would love to hear your thoughts back to this after you listen to the podcast. As always, leave us a five-star rating review. Share us with your friends. I would love to hear their feedback as well. This is a good one. Be ready. Buckle up. I'll see you inside. All right, by the time this podcast drops, it's been about two weeks uh, since you guys know I love controversy. I absolutely love it. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, there's a podcast clip recorded um, of myself and Alex Bush discussing how an enhanced prep can be healthier than a natural prep. And there's some people that lost their minds. There were some people so vehemently angry, just like punching air in the comments. And it was funny because it's the way the video was edited that made the message look the way it did. But people, I don't think people understand simple marketing tactics and things of the like. You have to tune into these podcasts to be able to get the full scope of them. But man, let me tell you, I absolutely love it. So especially when someone tells me I'm wrong about something, the invitation is always open. If anyone listens to this podcast, they disagree. They don't like what I'm saying. Anything. Invitation is open to come on. You can come in person. We can chat face to face. We can pull you in on a Zoom call and we can make a podcast and we can just have a friendly debate. As soon as anyone gets like, you know, in their little personal biases and things and starts throwing these weird, like through Instagram or through social media projections outward, that's like when I'm out, I'm like, that's, that's weird. That's, that's weird. Don't, don't bring your projections onto me. Let's just talk about the task at hand, right? But let's talk about it today. How could an enhanced prep be healthier than a natural prep? So number one, I want to talk about what happens to thyroid downregulation. Then I'm going to talk about what happens with sex hormone downregulation. So we go through a prep and let's discuss like we're going through a natural prep here first. As you get further and further away from your body's natural set point in any direction that is, whether you get extremely overweight and over fat or you get extremely underweight and, and super lean, there's going to be negative repercussions to that. When you get over fat, I, I actually, I, I had a discussion with a mentee this morning um, about who has on paper, who has some of the best thyroid function that you'll ever see is a really fat person. <laughs> It's because their thyroid is trying to work so hard to pull them back down into a baseline. The issue is there's so many other operations that are going on inside of their body that just throw them off um, and kind of take it for a spin that, you know, offset that thyroid upregulation, if you will. But for the sake of this conversation, we're talking about bodybuilding competition and getting ready for a show. So as you get leaner and leaner without any assistance, there's going to be a downregulation in your thyroid. And... Eventually, what's going to happen is 
your your TSH will drop off. That's the thyroid stimulating hormone. That's what goes into the thyroid gland and asks for T4 to be made. Okay. That's going to drop off. So therefore your T4 is going to drop off. And T4 and T3 in the human body have a very calibrated um, 25% um, ratio status that it maintains, if you will. So to better explain that, T4 is nearly always about four times higher than T3 in terms of how your body wants to metabolize the T4 into T3. Um, the place that the human body has just really found that is comfortable um, in terms of T3 and T4 values inside of the body, right? So we have lower T4, and because your body is trying to stop weight gain, or I'm sorry, weight loss, fat loss, we have lower conversion to T3 as well. So we have this cascade of downregulation starting with the, the hormone that's signaling to the thyroid gland to create T4. Um, that's where it all starts. And then the conversion from the T4 that is being made is lower because your body fat is further and further away from the set point. So we have less active T3. All right, let's talk about sex hormones super fast. This was a lot deeper than thyroid I'm going to try not to lose you guys. I'm going to try to keep it super basal. Um, here's what happens. Sex hormones. We have progesterone. Or I'm sorry, pregnenolone that comes from cholesterol. This pregnenolone can go into a two different items, but then from there it can go into a lot of different things. It can go to DHEA, which can be converted back and forth between DHEA and DHEA uh, sulfate. It could go into progesterone, and now it is thrown into like the um, you know, further hormone cascade where it can go to, uh, it can end up as aldosterone. It can end up as cortisol. Um, it has to go through 17-OH progesterone first, so it gets, um, gets converted into 17-OH progesterone, which is a more active metabolite to be converted into hormone from there as cortisol is a hormone. From there... It can go into that 17-OH progesterone. It can end up as cortisol. Or it can go into um, the testosterone cycle, the estradiol cycle, the DHT cycle. Um, it It's based 100% on your body's homeostatic set point where it's at, how far away from that. And then supplying factors like, well, if we're way too overstressed, then we're going to need more cortisol, right? So there's going to be greater progesterone conversion into cortisol than there's going to be sex hormones, right? Or um, like in a peak week situation, if we're manipulating water and sodium um, and we get the, you know, our values, our ratios off, there's going to be more progesterone that gets turned into aldosterone um, in a peaking situation. This is also important for natural athletes athletes as well um, as you're you know, doing your final preparations into the competition. But let's say that the progesterone ends up into the cascade of active sex hormones, which would be testosterone, estradiol, and DHT are the main three we're going to talk about. We can talk about estriol and estri uh, estrone. I guess I should do a podcast kind of covering the different types of estro um, um, estrogen. So there's E1, E2, E3, and then there's methylated estrogen that's super liver toxic. That's something like a trestolone. Um, I believe a trenbolone can cause a little bit of that as well. Um, I believe a dianable might be able to cause a little bit of that, but I'm not 100% sure on that dianable. I'll, I'll have to fact check that, but I would love to do um, a podcast on estrogen. So this is you guys to so hold me accountable for that. 
So we get into the hormone cascade. It all starts with cholesterol. Cholesterol is stored in our body within our veins um, as we have cholesterol buildup there, but it's predominantly stored as fat in our body. And that's where most of our cholesterol is, is going to be in triglycerides and, and fatty acid deposits, right? So in the beginning of a contest prep and peak in the off season, you know, we're going to have plenty to pull from when we're at a healthy body fat percentage. We're going to have plenty to pull from, pull from. Assuming we're insulin sensitive as well, we don't have some resistance going on with insulin, your body's going to very easily be able to create pregnenolone. You know, our stress is low because our output isn't too high. We're not dieting. We're not, you know, we're just kind of living at that point, right? When you get into a contest preparation phase and you get lean and we have less deposits of fat source, we have less cholesterol coming in from fat because your fat intake is at some point going to get dropped, you know, extremely low, whether you're natural or enhanced, uh, to, to be able to get lean, truly stage conditioning. So we have lower cholesterol as a whole and whole podcast coming on cholesterol as well. Cause we need to have higher than normal cholesterol values, especially if we're natural. Um, the ratio is what matters there, not how much cholesterol we have. You don't want to be low cholesterol. If you're low cholesterol, you're going to be low sex hormone. So we go through this prep and now we have down regulation dysfunction of these things, but in a natural prep, we have nothing that is aiding with our corticoid response. That's the receptors. The corticoid receptors are the ones that create cortisol. Whereas androgens like Anivar, Trenbolone, um, and testosterone to an extent, those all help at the cortico steroid uh, receptor location, and they have anti-glucocorticoid response methods that um, are exhibited, their actions that are exhibited there to help keep cortisol at a basal level, right? We don't have that. What we can depend on is like a natural supplement like Cordy's by New Ethics that can help us. But the reality is when you're in a contest prep, the diet, the output, the just stress of dropping body fat, which it is a stressful situation to drop body fat. That the, the, the cortisol is going to elevate. So we have less cholesterol. This means we are going to convert into less pregnant alone. Period. <laughs> There's not a way to offset that or, or defeat that in a natural prep. This means that we are now splitting lower cholesterol and lower progesterone into lower levels of pregnant alone. So we have lower levels of pregnant alone but we have elevated levels of cortisol. So what does this mean? This means that a higher percentage of the progesterone that we have available for the body to use is being converted into cortisol. That means we have less available progesterone to be able to be converted into the sex hormone downstream of testosterone, of estradiol, of DHEA. Let's talk about, or DHEA, sorry, not DHEA. Let's talk about women. And women, testosterone is created after all these things. It's an afterthought. You know, we have a little bit created here, a little bit created there, a little bit created here. And all of those downstreams are becoming dysfunctional because of the stress outputs, because of how much further away from homeostasis we are. The body's trying to stop it. And we don't have any assistance to be able to push it forward, keep it going. 
you guys, this isn't opinion. This is just physiology. And like I was trying to explain to some people on that post, I, I can't help if you're mad at physiology. I'm just reporting what happens. <laughs> so if you're mad at physiology, you got to call our creators and chat with them about it. I, I, I'm just simply reporting that that's what happens. Okay. So what can we do to offset these items in a natural prep? Number one, we can use iodized salt instead of like sea salt or, you know, pink salt or whatever. We use iodized salt to have 10 to 20 micrograms of iodine that we take in daily. We can supplement with 200 micrograms of selenium daily. We can supplement with 500 milligrams of tyrosine daily. The issue with tyrosine is after about six weeks of dosing at that, you, you kind of want to take a break from it. Um, not dissimilar to something like ashwagandha, which, yeah, you can use to help with, you know, cortisol patterning and whatnot in a prep, but you can't just like run it this whole time. We weren't around ashwagandha for four to six weeks, and then we, we have to take a little bit of a break. So what those three do is, you know, tyrosine, iodine come together to create T4. Selenium is a very powerful antioxidant that is specifically located in the thyroid gland. If you didn't listen to that thyroid podcast, definitely go back and check that out. Selenium is only in that thyroid gland. And that's what's going to help convert T4 into T3 when the body needs it. So we can support the vessel of the thyroid gland, but we cannot force conversion or force T4 to be created if we're not getting the signaling for it to be created. But it's still obviously better to have these things in versus not. We can supplement with DHEA so that we have a higher percentage of pregnenolone that can go into progesterone as we're handling our own natural DHEA levels with 25 milligrams of DHEA supplemented daily. And that, like I said, pregnenolone converts into DHEA or progesterone. So if it doesn't have to convert into DHEA because we have enough, that leaves a greater percentage of pregnenolone to go to progesterone, right? Super straightforward. Stress management. Daily meditation. I've talked about that a million times on the podcast, the stress management stuff. But if this is your first time tuning in, having a set wake time, a set bedtime, um, ensuring that your sleep is phenomenal. So if you constantly wake up to pee throughout the night, cut your water off about 90 minutes before bed. Daily meditation. Only listen to amped up music when we're at the gym. After that, like on the drive home from the gym and before bed at night, we should have some calming, relaxing music going to get us into a parasympathetically driven state. Stress management is all about being parasympathetic as much as possible. I have said this many times. I play calm, relaxing music in my earbuds all day, every single day outside of my training session. And honestly, sometimes in my training session, I throw on some classical jams, which is a little bit more motivating, if you will, than like the meditative stuff, but it's still not super rambunctious. It's still staying in a calm, controlled aggression, if you will. Using court ease by new ethics, using one dosage post-training, one dosage when it gets dark outside, that can be very beneficial for us. Magnesium glycinate, 600 milligrams when it's dark outside. Magnesium 3 and 8, 2,000 milligrams when it's dark outside. These can both have a great neurological calming effect that will allow us to calm down at the end of the night, allow us to be able to um, get to bed easily, sleep through the night, all these things. That's just, it's just stress mitigation. Don't fight with your partner. If your partner won't stop fighting with you, break up with your partner. Maybe you can see them again after the prep. <laughs> Don't take relationship advice from Justin. Do not do that. Um, 
We want to respect circadian functioning. So that's the set sleeping wake time. When it's light outside, it's light in your house. When it's dark outside, it's dark in your house. Just little items like that. Wake up. We want cortisol high in the morning. So look into a bright light. Get sun exposure into your eyelid, um, into your eyes every single day. It's like, don't be outside constantly wearing sunglasses. It's amazing that we've been told for so long how like the sun's going to burn your skin. It's bad for you. The sun's bad in your eyes. Blah blah. Like, dude, sun exposure is one of the greatest indicators of mental health that you can possibly have. It's one of the greatest indicators of overall health that you can possibly have. So as much sun exposure as you can get, obviously without burning your skin would be really ideal. Um, we want to take that. It accumulates sleep pressure throughout the day. and makes going to sleep um, easier at night. Something I've noticed when you're in a contest prep, and this is more so going to the enhanced side of things, jumping a little bit ahead. Well, if things like clenbuterol in, you know, we might have some caffeine in or something to like, um, but we move less and we do less than we you know, commonly did in the off season. It's like, we'll train hard, you know, we'll hit the cardio, you know, we'll hit the diet and stuff, but we're not actually accumulating sleep pressure throughout the day. And we stop respecting our circadian functioning in that prep. Whereas if we're continuing to do those things, even when it's not the most convenient thing for us to do, it's going to be very helpful for us to get a great night of sleep. And there's not really anything better for fat burning um, than a great night of sleep. There's not really anything better for your overall progression as an athlete than a great night of sleep. The athletes who get eight hours a night versus athletes who get seven or six hours a night, the ones getting eight are drastically improving at a much higher rate than seven to six hours. But that's for another podcast. We want to keep fats as high as possible. But like I said, there's only so much you can do. Like I said, at the end of the day, you still got to get peeled. For a natural prep, you still got to get peeled. So at some point, fat's got to go low. And we're not going to have a lot of this cholesterol coming in. We're not going to have stored fat. We're not, we're not going to have dietary fat coming in. Like We're not going to have much to make these sex hormones out of. So you're likely going to, I mean, beyond likely, I just have to leave some gray area here. You're going to be driven into a hypogonad state, which you know means you're low sex hormone. There's not really any way you can combat that naturally in getting lean for a show. Uh, boron to keep SHBG low. This is your sex hormone binding globulin. That'll open up for more estradiol, more testosterone to be free and to be ready to be used. So bioavailable. Um, longer dieting periods. So we have higher feeding, less drastic weight and fat loss. The longer we can diet, the less harsh the diet needs to be in terms of the, the, um, just the exposure point of the diet. So if we're dieting a condensed period of time, things have to get harsher than if we're an extended period of time, right? It's just logic, right? So if we can get away with more higher feeding periods, with more diet break periods, with more cardio break periods, we're going to be able to keep the thyroid and sex hormone function in a functional manner for longer and deeper into the prep, right? So I want to talk about cortisol a little bit so that I know that we have a good understanding of that before I continue on here. But I think to this point, we've covered... You're very likely going to go hypothyroid in a contest prep diet natural without utilizing T4, T3 substances. That being said, for a bikini competition, you might not have to go there because you might not have to get that lean. That really just depends on your body and your look. There's some people who can be 11% body fat in bikini competition. They look phenomenal. There's other people need to be 9% body fat in a bikini competition to be able to be competitive it's really just based on your muscularity, 
is based on where your physique looks and presents itself the best. Um, but if you need to get down really lean, you're going to have some hypothyroid dysfunction and that's more so for divisions outside of bikini. Um, but in bikini, we see this oftentimes as well. This is why like anytime a coach is like, Oh, don't use thyroid hormone in your bikini preps, man, talking that black and white's really, really ignorant. It just shows a lot of misinformation that person has based around biology, physiology, how the endocrine system works. Um, just basic functioning needs of the thyroid. I would, I would, that's a big red flag. I would run from that pretty far. Um, so far we've learned how cholesterol turns into pregnenolone. Pregnenolone converts into either DHEA or progesterone. And then the downstream effects from there where progesterone feeds into aldosterone, cortisol, testosterone, estradiol, DHT. Now let's talk about cortisol. Cortisol starts in the hypothalamus with cortisol releasing hormone, cortic, uh, uh, cortico releasing hormone. Then it goes to the pituitary gland. We get adrenal hormone. Then we get to adrenal glands where cortisol is made, um, adrenal corticotropic hormone. And then we get to the adrenal glands where cortisol is made. It's a circadian hormone. This is so important for a natural prep. Cortisol is a circadian hormone. In a natural prep, we don't have cortisol assistance from a super physiological source. We have to be the assistance to ourselves. Look, you can take new ethics cordies post-training. You can take new ethics cordies when it gets dark outside. That's awesome. That's great. You have to be able to set your functioning up, your day-to-day -day functioning up, in a manner that respects your circadian output and what your circadian needs. Your circadian function wants to start going to bed around the time it gets dark outside. Your circadian function wants to be outside and in the light and obtain sunlight exposure when the sun comes up in the morning. These are my opinions. These are facts backed by a ridiculous amount of research. Matthew Walker has a fascinating podcast on this with Dr. Huberman that I would highly recommend. There's two of them. I would highly recommend you tune in to both of those to learn more on this topic. I learned a ridiculous amount from those two and just how important this is. What I'm saying here is if you nail your circadian functioning, then you are going to set yourself up in the best position for your cortisol to not elevate to these extremes throughout the day with everything that we do. Another note, and a natural prep, why fasted cardio is going to be so far superior even when we don't have all the same fat burning mechanisms as we might have in an enhanced prep. In the morning, you're going to wake up and your cortisol is going to be the highest. Cortisol is a breakdown hormone. It is not anabolic. It is catabolic. Why not when our catabolic hormone is at the highest that it can possibly be all day? Why not crush your fasted cardio at that point? Because what happens if you wait and you do your catabolic activity like cardio later on, you're going to get another cortisol spike from that. And now we're breaking that circadian pattern, right? I'm okay with, I know this isn't super popular amongst everybody. I come from a place of if insulin is low, 
our catabolic action can be high. So if we wake up and we sip like 20 grams of EAAs before we do some fasted cardio, and that's how we get our hydration in, we mix it with our greens and stuff, you know, so we get our micronutrient profile in, you know, you take it with the Yohimbine, um, HCL, and, you know, you get some increased fat burning going on. If we have those EAAs in the morning for a natural prep, where again, you're going to be very catabolic, but your nitrogen is not going to be super high. So you're going to have a high turnover of amino acids throughout your prep, meaning you're going to lose a lot of muscle. We all know how hard muscle is to gain. We take in about 20 grams of essential amino acids, and that's that's readily available energy for our amino acid. It's going to raise our nitrogen systemic levels just a bit, just enough, but it's not really going to raise our insulin response. There's not really going to be an insulogenic response from that. We're still going to be low insulin. So in a natural you know, prep, I would advise that you know you wake up and you have your EAAs and you go on and hit your fasted cardio. You know, after that, you, you know, just as your morning unfolds, when your stomach is settled and you're ready to digest food properly, that's when I would have meal one. But I, I even for, you know, some enhanced preps in an enhanced prep is obviously a little easier to do. Um, I even have those EAAs in there at times, just because again, if insulin's not elevating, then we have catabolic activity that, you know, is likely and able to occur. Back to cortisol. It's a circadian hormone. It'll release natural throughout the day. If you set yourself up for the best possible circadian functioning, nailing it. You're helping yourself be able to have more pregnenolone convert or end as sex hormone through the progesterone pathways than you are cortisol. It's a huge W. Cortisol release is dictated by the hypothalamus, which we're going to talk about in just a second, releasing the CRH and the aforementioned process occurs every time we need more cortisol. So every single time we need cortisol, we have the hypothalamus releasing CRH. And then, you know, this, this goes to the pituitary gland and we get the adrenal corticotropic hormone that, that um, gets transferred into the adrenal glands, which is where cortisol is made. This happens every time we need it. So if we're high stress, if we're sympathetically driven all freaking day, then you are going to have a greater cortisol response and more, more progesterone feeding into cortisol than you are sex hormones, right? I also advise to train as early in the morning as you possibly can during a natural prep or an enhanced prep, just so we have the remainder of the day to be as parasympathetic as possible. Adrenal insufficiency occurs when we have abused cortisol release. The signaling is due to just our physical stress, our mental stress, our environmental stress. Almost every prep ends in some sort of adrenal insufficiency as well, whether it's enhanced or not due to the amount of stimulant intake that humans just need when you're that lean and we are trying to accomplish a goal. Yeah. If you're natural, you're still going to use a lot of caffeine for the most, most people are still going to use a lot of caffeine to get to that finish line or use it for an extended period of time. If you're enhanced, you're probably using caffeine and clenbuterol or albuterol to get to that finish line. Those drive you into a sympathetically dominant state which is where we have more cortisol response to cover the gaps. So when the cortisol creation process occurs above the threshold we would like it to, we're adrenal insufficient and we're predominantly stuck in a sympathetic state. 
So if we help ourselves by doing cardio in the morning, by training early in the morning, um, by respecting your circadian function as I've laid out so far in this podcast, if we're respecting that, then we're offsetting this as much as we possibly can and we're freeing up more progesterone to be able to be converted into sex hormone and end up as sex hormone. Let's talk about the hypothalamus real quick. I want to make sure that we understand this because it's a very important key to everything we're going on. Hypothalamus is a little gland in the brain. Right underneath it's a pituitary gland. So they're obviously very closely related. Um, it's the main link between your endocrine system and your nervous system. So your hypothalamus keeps your body balanced. It keeps your body in a stable state. This is called homeostasis, right? When we undergo extreme dieting, we can enter a state known as hypothalamic dysfunction, which basically that just states that the hypothalamus isn't able to do its job properly because of chronic high stress, chronic undereating, and the effect that that's had on the hypothalamus response as we ventured further and further away from homeostasis, which I've already covered in this podcast, we're going to have a less response from that hypothalamus in order to keep our endocrine and nervous system operating in a conjunctive manner. Luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. These are, these are sex hormone, sex signaling hormones from the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus controls these two. When you're on a PED cycle, they're very low because the hypothalamus doesn't need to signal for testosterone to be made. You are handling your own exogenous testosterone production. Without assistance, we want these to be high within range so that we have healthy sex hormone signaling. When we have hypothalamic dysfunction going on, these two drop and we have a lowering of the testosterone being produced via the sex hormone downstream. We have a lowering of estradiol being produced via the sex hormone downstream. We have a lowering of DHTA. DHT, not DHTA, a DHT. And if females, again, testosterone is an afterthought of a sex hormone because it comes so late in the sex hormone creation process. So now, at this point of the podcast, we have three plausible outcomes that because I like to leave a gray area for things and not everything is a black and white, not everything happens every single time, nothing's 100% in this world that we live in. We have three things that we can't really assist or prevent too long, assuming we're getting stage lean. Hypogonadism, which is low sex hormones, hypothyroidism, low thyroid activity, and then hypothalamic dysfunction, which is the signaling for the sex hormone and many other neural nervous system processes to occur. I'm no expert. <laughs> I'm no expert. If we have these things going on, I'm not a medical doctor, but I would think that that's really, really unhealthy. What do you guys think? Do you guys think it sounds like a positive state being in hypogonad, being hypothyroid, having hypothalamic dysfunction? If you do, you're entitled to that belief. That's okay. I would just like to hear why you believe that's a healthy place to be. If I go on NCBI right now, I, I, I would, I, I record these podcasts on my phone airplane mode so I don't get um, distracted, but if I were to go on NCBI right now and I looked up hypogonadism, hypothyroidism, hypothalamic dysfunction, I venture to say I would not find a single study out of thousands and thousands and thousands of studies that would 
suggest that these are a healthful place to be. Now, like I said, I'm no expert and I'm no medical doctor. I do know that there's a lot of people that told me how stupid I was on that podcast post. I happen to think that it is in our best interest for us to be in a state of healthy, but super physiological thyroid endocrine system and hypothalamic function. It's just my belief. So when we use bioidentical hormone modulation to offset this, we can have the body sense production of the sex hormones and thyroid hormone to maintain stable or, like I said, we can drive it above its baseline threshold and we can choose to kind of put it in a super physiological state where we're sort of treating ourselves like Captain America, if you will. We're kind of controlling all of these little variables. And at the cellular level in the body, I'm not talking about HPTA axis downregulating. Of course, it's going to downregulate. We're taking exogenous hormone. I'm talking way deeper than that. I'm talking in the cells of the body, the neural cells, muscular cells, every single cell in between, heart, lung, everything. At a cellular level, when we are hypogonad, hypothalamic dysfunction, hypothyroid, there's dysfunction in the cell that's occurring at the mitochondria in the nucleus. <laughs> Hell, there's, there's dysfunction happening in the cell membrane. Cell membranes comprise of you know, cholesterols and fats. We don't have a lot of them deep into prep. Even at that level, there's dysfunction happening if we don't have some assistance going on. So again, if you think that's a helpful place to be, you are entitled to that opinion. What I know, because it's physiology, not because I'm a genius or an expert or a doctor, what I know is that if we can stay responsive at the cellular level, all of those cells I just mentioned, plus the billions and billions of more in there, that our recovery from the shutdown is going to be so much easier and we are going to have a much higher chance of that recovery actually occurring than if we have cellular dysfunction going on. See, when I made that post, all the people that disagree with it, I clicked on their pages and none of them had like, none of them coached people. None of them helped people. None of them had any hands-on real world experience. I'm not saying that this is like a coach or a not coach thing. There's a lot of coaches all disagree with me as well. Well, not a lot anymore. Um, there have been over the years when I was, one of the first to talk about birth control, when I was one of the first to talk about training failure, when I was convincing all of Twitter that squats did in fact target your gluteal muscles, when I was one of the first talking about how being healthier and having a better physique correlates to being more mentally well in terms of your dopa, dopamine response and serotonin response. See, there was someone who commented on that post who was from Twitter about 10 years ago who said, I remember you talking about this on Twitter and getting crucified for it. All these things. And now we have so much research going on with them. That's why I'm always okay being very open-minded and opening my mouth about things I feel very confident about because I'm not saying I've never been wrong. I've been wrong a ton. That's how I've learned to be a good coach. But on these hardcore beliefs that I've obtained through my research, they always end up being right. This one will too. It's just physiology at a cellular level. If we keep them healthy, we keep them responsive due to bioidentical hormone modulation that we are giving our body. 
Once the prep is done, our recovery is going to be so much exponentially easier and greater and more healthful than if we do not have this help. This is different from anabolic steroid abuse. That's not what I'm talking about here. There was someone who started commenting about steroid abuse. I was never talking about steroid abuse. Steroid, I've done, Jesus Christ, how many podcasts have I done covering steroid abuse? <laughs> the issue, the, I think the issue is people talk from a place of ignorance and they're not enlightened. Steroid abuse is a completely different topic. Would I argue that being in a place of moderate steroid abuse is still healthier than being hypogonad, hypothyroid, hypothalamic dysfunction? I could argue. I'm not saying I would argue. I could argue. I could argue both sides of that. I'm talking about, man, a majority of females who are well-coached, but a huge asterisk next to that, well-coached, aren't abusing steroids. There's a lot of males, and it's super contrary to popular belief because everyone wants to think that these pros are just busted to the gills with the hormones that they're taking in. There's a lot of pros that really aren't abusing things that badly and doing really, really well, like a lot. There's more abuse happening at the amateur level or like, you know, the lower tiers of the pro ranks than there is at the, the top levels of it. I'm not saying that they don't abuse at some point because super physiological use of androgens is kind of abuse, right? I mean, I think we can all agree on that. I'm saying it's an education thing that you need to understand the extreme abuse of things like trend or DNP, T3, clenbuterol. Clenbuterol is one of the worst things you put in your body. People aren't ready to hear that yet. That's okay. That's okay. I'll wait until y'all ready to come around before we hear that one. Heart attacks, heart issues, heart disease is the number one killer of bodybuilders around the world. And what's the number one thing we use more than anything else in a contest prep that directly interferes with your heart first and foremost? Fill in the blank. It's clenbuterol. Beside the point for this podcast, what does this look like? What does bioidentical hormone replacement in a contest prep with bodybuilders look like, Justin? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I've coached a ton of pros. I've coached Olympians. I've coached a lot of amateurs that have achieved a great status here. And let me tell you, coming from a coach's mouth to your ear, someone who does this, who actually lives this and makes my, well, my, a majority of my living off of this. T4 and T3 with T4 being four times higher than T3. That means if T3 is 25 micrograms, T4 is 100 micrograms. That means if T3 is 50 micrograms, T4 is 200 micrograms. Yes, people use 50 micrograms of T3. Yes, people use 75 micrograms of T3. Yes, we still want it to be four times more. That's 300 micrograms of T4 because that's how your body operates the best from a cellular level when T4 is four times higher than T3. I'm not advising you to do those things. I'm saying when the shoe fits, you might have to wear it. Testosterone replacement. This goes for females. You plug in a super physiological dose of testosterone, nine milligrams of exposure per week. You are going to cover every base you need from the testosterone function and very likely the estradiol function. Depending on your response to that, a DHT plus a 19 nor progestin base, like an MPP, it's the only 19 nor that I use for females. Having assistance there can really help. If you're going to bring those in, I'd recommend bringing the test down. If you're going to use DHT and 19-NOR, I'd recommend the test maybe being around six milligrams a week. 
I don't remember DHT and 19 nor, you know, DHT, let's say my, my go-to is Primo. My 19 nor go-to is MPP. Why? I mean, we can keep these around 25 milligrams of exposure a week at the amateur level and be competitive on the national stage in any division. As long as the athlete's working hard enough. I'm not saying I don't have athletes take more than 25. I absolutely do. hundred percent. I do. But I'm saying if you handicap me, and I can only use 25 milligrams exposure per week, 20 milligrams exposure per week, 15 milligrams exposure per week, you're going to be healthier than if you don't have those things. 100%. DHEA for neural steroid health, 25 milligrams a day, and growth hormone. You had growth hormone in the mix, you need even less androgens. You have growth hormone in the mix, and you handicap me at 8 milligrams of exposure per week of androgens. I can still, if so, I mean, if someone's there, if someone's got the mental willpower to train really hard, the. You know, they follow all the circadian function things I lay out for my athletes. You know, they sleep, they do their job. Either GH in the mix, I don't need eight milligrams a week and shit over time. I'll get you there. The above can be used in a bioidentical dose conjunction uh, in order to keep the body maintaining healthier outputs under heavy stress loads like a prep. And when we come out of prep, we don't have this dysfunctioning happening at the cellular level like I talked about. The dysfunction is happening due to a byproduct of shutdown due to exogenous usage, which is easier to recover from. It's easier to recover when our cellular at the cellular level, we are still supporting high levels of output. And at the cellular level, we are staying healthy. Now, you're going to use androgens. You have to do something about the reactive oxygen species, about the oxidative stress that we're putting on our body. N-acetylcysteine, glutathione are two amazing, amazing things to use. How much can you use? Personally, in my prep, I was using 10,000 milligrams of NAC a day. Helped. It helped greatly. You need to make sure you're doing things. And, and melatonin at night, just three milligrams of melatonin at night. Melatonin is going to be delivered directly to your brain. And then it's going to get broken down in your brain. And it's going to be an extremely strong antioxidant. If you're someone who utilizes trenbolone, and we know that trenbolone supports plaque buildup in the brain, and we know that plaque buildup is something that down the road can lead to Alzheimer's, let's use 10 milligrams of melatonin minimum. Shit, 20 milligrams. I'm cool with 20 milligrams of melatonin every night. It's going to break down in your brain into a very, very strong and powerful antioxidant. That's going to help you stay as mentally healthy as you possibly can, along with the DHEA supplementation, which is a neurosteroid. When you come out of a prep, we don't want to stop everything cold turkey. This is such a common mistake. Don't just come out of prep and like pull the T4 and T3 out. Like you have no thyroid function. You have to recover properly. We want to slowly wean off these items one by one as we get back to a normal intake and normal output set point as we see food relationship become healthier, the cheats have stopped and, and we're not, you know, having little slips here and there in the diet. As we see the body response to protocol stabilize, we want to support these things to happen within the way that we protocol everything, our thyroid support. So new ethics, thyro boost and thyro boost essentials is going to be very important here. But iodine, selenium, tyrosine are also just great to take as standalones. Sex hormone support, new ethics, uh, a jumpstart EC is going to be very good here for females. We might need some chase berry here, depending on what the blood say. Um, honestly, males can use chase berry as well. I should do a podcast on that. Man, I have three podcast ideas. I'm going to forget all of them at the end of this podcast. So I need to take note of these. Um, Emily, you're listening. Take note of these and send this to me. (laughs) 
Fixing the cycle. Women are very likely to undergo amenorrhea during a cycle, especially when you go hypogonadism or if you go super physiological from the sex hormone output, you're likely going to experience some sort of amenorrhea unless you're really genetically blessed. Every time I see a coach like Pimpin that, well, this client didn't lose their period. Hey, that's great. But that's genetics. That ain't you. <laughs> that's just their genetics. That's just the resilience. Blood work. We want to get bloods done. I like getting bloods done about three weeks post-show and again, eight weeks post-show. Three weeks, we get to see everything that's screwed up. Right immediately post-show, you just kind of assume we need to reverse everything we just did. Nothing's in this really stable, predictable environment. Eight weeks post-show, you know, we're going to have a good barometer on what we fixed and what still needs more attention. Support sex hormone conversion with low stress. So training RIR, maybe dropping cardio output down. I personally like keeping cardio in every day just as a cardiovascular support, but also just for a routine. People get in this routine and they're so much more productive during a prep and then they in it, they finish the prep and they're like, well, I'm not sauna anymore. I'm not doing cardio anymore and I've broken my routine. I'm not very efficient with my workout, but stay in routine. Just cut down how much calories you're hitting or you know how much time you're doing in the cardio, how much output there is as high as fat intake as possible without getting fat, but focus on getting your HDL, right? So focus on foods that promote healthy HDL levels, macadamia, nut oil, whole eggs that are quality whole eggs, not the cheap whole eggs, the quality whole eggs. Absolutely love using those too. I love using almond butter as well. Although I wouldn't say almond butter is just like huge HDL supporter thing, but like I would say macadamia nuts are far greater than that, but I've personally never seen macadamia nut butter. If anyone's ever seen, I would love for you to send that to me. I'd love to try that. So that's it. From a pharmacological standpoint, from a biological standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, there were a lot of places I sprinkled my opinion in because it's something I feel opinionated about and it's my podcast. I can do that. But that was all facts. That's just how the human body works. If you're mad about it, you got to contact our creators. You got to find them. That's how they set our body structures up. I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear what you think. If you think I'm an idiot, that's fine. Just make sure that you have you know, something to base that off of. If everyone agreed with me, it wouldn't be a lot of fun in the world. But when you're an expert in your field and you can talk like that, we can talk through anything, even the other side. You're an expert in this field and you don't believe what I said. I would honestly love to have an open conversation about this and love to, it's not that I'm seeking out to be proven wrong, but I would love to be proven wrong. So natural prep versus enhanced prep. Let me know in the YouTube comments here. What do you think is healthier and why? As always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Please a five-star rating and review. Share us with your friends. As always, I'll see you next time.